We are going to continue on the series on family and marriage, or marriage and family. And we started last week on God's design for marriage, and we focused more on headship. So this week, we are going to be talking about leading and loving your wife. Leading and loving your wife. Last week, I, I got a lot of good word from some people, especially the women. They're like, Pastor Angela, give it more to them, give it more to them. But really, this is not about making anybody feel they are not doing a good job as husbands and as wives or as fathers. It's really for us to know the heart of God, for us to know what the heart of God is for families. Like I said last week, marriage is a covenant. It's, a co- it's not a contract like we see now. People cohabiting together, living together, they are not married. That's not the will of God. People having a contract and drawing up a prenup to protect themselves in a marriage even before they go in, that's not the will of God. Marriage is a covenant, and it's a covenant between God, the man, and the woman. And every covenant that God cuts has responsibilities to it, has rules, has regulations. Everyone has their own part to play. And we said last week that the covenant that God caught with a man and a woman has five elements in it. The first element is that marriage is God's idea. Marriage originated from the heart of God. God decided, first of all, and said, he said, out of us, let us create another person, a man. And God gave us his image and his likeness. And then out of that, he said, it is not good for this man to be alone. And so, because out of that, he came up with the marriage covenant. Marriage is the first institution God ever created. No wonder the whole, the society wants to destroy the idea that God had when he instituted marriage. Marriage is from God. So no person, no government, no society can change and redefine what marriage is. And then we talked about that marriage has a twofold purpose. The covenant of marriage has a twofold purpose. Number one, it is to reflect the union that Christ, the bridegroom, has with us, his bride. So in a couple's life, when you're married, that is the main reason, the twofold reason, one of the two reasons why you get married, to reflect to the world the relationship between Christ and his church. And then secondly, to produce godly offsprings. Because that's the way God is going to multiply and replenish the earth with godly children. And they don't have to be children that come from you. Some people don't have children. You can have spiritual children. And then we talked about marriage. The marriage covenant has blessings in it. The blessings of companionship. God giving you somebody, your own person to live life with, to share life with. And also for the men, there's a special favor that comes upon your life that you will not get anywhere else. It only comes when you get married. And I talked to you all last, the men, especially the young boys, young men here, listen to me. Listen to me. You need to know that when you are looking for someone to get married to, the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. That's very important. You're looking for a wife when you're looking to get married. That's your quality you're looking for. We're going to talk about some things that next week, in the next coming weeks, we're going to talk about the women, what your own role is. 
We are going to talk about divorce and remarriage. Nobody wants to talk about these things. We are going to talk about single parenthood, especially single mothers. There's everything is in the scriptures. Everything is in the Bible. We are going to talk about the responsibility of the church to the widows. Do you know that the, the, the office of the deacon is not to tell people you don't dress well or live or whatever. The office of the deacon in the scriptures was instituted to take care of widows. To take care of widows. And so I have decided every widow in this church, I'm a widow, but thank God that I'm, I'm able to provide for myself. But I've decided that every widow in this church, even if it's $20 a month, we are going to give to the widows. We have to follow what God says. If you see all the blessings, all the things that come with blessing widow, widows in a church, you'll be wondering why didn't God open our eyes to this all this time. We need to take care of our widows. They are depending on it. They may not say it, but they are depending on it. We need to take care of them. Anyway, so the marriage covenant has blessings. And then the marriage covenant is generational. God always, God doesn't ever deal with you alone, man. Listen. God doesn't ever just deal with you. In your loins, you're carrying up to four or five generations. That's why he's God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. God always deals with the generation. And so when you're getting married, when things are happening and you want to just give up, remember that in your loins that you're carrying other generations and what you're doing is going to affect four to five generations after you. I know there are some men here today, some of the things you're dealing with, some of the habits you're dealing with, some of the frustrations you're dealing with, it's not from you. It's from great-great-grandfather. You try everything to break it and you cannot. It's because of what somebody did four or five generations ago. But you know that now you put a stop to it and said it stops with me. And you don't let it go from you again to your children. There are families that divorce is just is expected. Abuse is expected. Alcoholism is expected. Adultery is expected. But it doesn't have to be that way if you are a Christian. You can put an end to it. So the marriage covenant is generational. And then we said the marriage covenant has roles and responsibilities. And we started with the role of the man. And that's what I'm going to continue with today. So let's look at our three uh, foundational scriptures this morning. Proverbs chapter uh, 24 verses 3 and 4. The Bible says it takes wisdom to have a good family. It takes wisdom to have a good family. And it takes understanding to make your family strong. And then he said it takes knowledge to fill a home with rare and beautiful treasures. So it's telling us here there are three things you need to have a strong and a good and a beautiful family. It takes understanding, it takes knowledge, and it takes wisdom. The Bible says in all you're getting, get understanding. And the Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. It says when you have wisdom, it will fill your house with riches. And he's saying it again here. So it is a good thing for us to hear messages like this. It is a good thing for us to say, okay, man, I want, I want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband. It is a good thing to get books, to read. 
It is a good thing to go for marriage conferences to learn because it is understanding. It is not the kissing and the hugging that is going to make your marriage strong. It is not just that I love you. That's good. It's not just that I love you. And we'll come to what love really means for a woman. It takes for you to know. It takes for you to understand. And it takes for you to apply. Knowledge is good. But knowledge that just goes over your head like that is not good. You need to have the knowledge that you need to understand what that thing is telling you. And then you need to apply it. That's where the wisdom comes in. Amen? The second scripture here says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 and 29. It says, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. We're going to spend quite a, a bit on that. We're going to park our car there today. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Words are very important, man. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. So much in there. You wash, Jesus washes us with his word. No matter what you've done, the Bible says there's no condemnation. He says that he loves us with an everlasting love. And then the Bible is telling you it's the same way the man is supposed to love his wife. Love, and I will come to that, the kind of love God is expecting. The love that washes. The love that makes clean. Not the love that throws dirt on the wife. You, we all have flaws. The church has flaws. Believe me, we are not a lovable church. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Yet Jesus loves us with an everlasting love. It's not conditional love. It's an agape. When he talked about husband love your wife, actually it says husbands agape your wives. It is a love that is not dependent on what she does or what she doesn't do. What she gives you and what she doesn't give you. It's a love that loves in spite of. First Peter chapter 3 verse 7. He says, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life. That your prayers may not be hindered with understanding. Again, we see where it says to do it with understanding. Understanding is important. And then it says here, your wife is a weaker vessel. That doesn't mean she's weak in strength. I mean, to carry a child for nine months is not weak. To go through labor is not weak. He's telling you that the woman's spirit is very fragile. Very delicate, and you should be careful not to break that. And I will talk about that when I come to the way God expects the men or husbands to love their wives. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, I think 23, it says, Husbands, you're supposed to be the head of your wife, not the head of other women. 
See if you can put it up in New Living Translations, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, in NLT. Give it to me in the NLT. Ephesians 5, 23. Because I want to stress that. Because some men think that because they are just men, every woman you see is underneath you. And just like the boss, I mean, I don't see that here. I'm just talking, so you don't think there's anything about that. If you can find it, if not, I'll keep on. But it says... You are the head, he's the head of his wife. He's not the head of every woman that he sees. Amen? So we're going to keep going. Now, there is a, the problem that we're having in our society is because there is confusion in what the role of a man is and the role of a woman. And I kind of dug into that to read on it, and I found something very interesting, that the roles, confusion that we are seeing right now actually started from the second, after the Second World War. Before the Second World War, and it's not like that was better than what we have now, or what we have now is better. That's it. For a husband is the head of his wife. As Christ is the head of the church. Thank you, guys. So it's his wife that he's the head of, not every woman. But anyway, so before, before the Second World War, most women just stayed at home, and the, the, the men went out to work and bring in the food and the money. And the woman's place was in the kitchen and the bedroom to keep the house clean and to raise the children. And so when the war started and they now listed all these men, they needed people to work in the factory to make the guns and the bullets. And so the women that were home prior to this time were now in, taken into the, in the, uh, the factories to make these things. And of course, they started, they started earning money, the money they never had before. They were now in charge of some money. And so when the war was over and the men came home, the roles almost like became reversed. The men now were the ones relying on the women for, their, for the income. And the women were the ones going to, to work and the women didn't want to stay home anymore. And so that's where the women's liberation movement kind of started because they were like, no, you're not going to keep us at home. We're going to work. We're going to be in the working field. We're going to be, you know, producing as well as contributing to the family, which was a good thing because there were abuses when a woman didn't have anything of her own at all. And she couldn't, no matter what the man did, killed her, whatever, she couldn't go because she doesn't, doesn't have anything. But then it went to the extreme where the women now said, okay, we are true of the things that made them women and wanted to not be like a man. And so we have a generation now where the men are not very sure what is really expected of them. And it's very, I feel sorry sometimes for men because, for example, you want to date a girl, you want to really provide for her, you have, because men have that instinct to want to provide and, 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 uh, to make the woman feel secure and, and they want to be like a warrior, they want to win. And so you meet this young woman, she has her own house or she has her own apartment, she has her own car, She's able to feed herself, probably has more food in her refrigerator than you do, probably has more money saved than you do. So the man is kind of feeling emasculated. What is my role here? 
And then the woman, oh yeah, I'm the man, I'm, I can take care of myself, I can do this for my own, I don't need no man to take care of me. You do all of that, you earn good money, yeah. You're making a good income, you're living well, but there's that thing in you that is still looking for, for security, for, that's still looking for affirmation, and we fight it, women fight it, but God put it in you. There's, you cannot be a man. Every, see God, there's a purpose for everything that God makes. Even in our, here now, I cannot take my cell phone and jump into the water with it. No. There's a, there's the swimming pool, I can, uh, I can, my swimming suit, I can go in the water with it. If I take my phone and go in the water with it, I will mess it up. Every, even manufacturers, when they give you, when they make it, they give you manual. I say, okay, this is your phone. If you get into water with it, it's, we will not replace it. Because it wasn't created to be put into water. It's the same thing with God. When God created everything, he put a role and a purpose in whatever he created. Women were created to, in a marriage situation, we were created for a purpose, a specific purpose. And if you're not fulfilling that purpose, you will not feel fulfilled. It's the same thing with a man. When a man doesn't feel like he can take care of his family, when a man feels that the wife is always overbearing, wants to do things like a man, the man, he can't handle it because it is inbuilt in him to protect, to provide. Even the word Abba means sustainer, provider. And so everyone, the role and the responsibility, even with the confusion going, let's go back to the Bible. And see what God has to say. And let us fit into that because that's what we need to build strong families. Amen? Now let's look at the word husband, what it means. The very word husband means house bond. House bond, like glue. So it is the man, just by your name, you are the glue that holds your family together. You are the rope that ties everything. You hold the family together. The family is bonded together. It's because the man is supposed to do that. You are the glue. The meaning of Abba, Father, I already talked about that. It means the source and the sustainer. You are the source of that child. You are the source of that home. It is still your job to sustain that home. Even if your wife earns more than you, you can still be the sustainer of that home. God expects that from you. Even the word Abba, is that we call God Abba Father because of that, because he's our source and he sustains us. First Timothy chapter 5 verse 8. It says, And anyone who does not take care of his family and those in his house has turned away from the faith. He is worse than a person who has never put his trust in Christ. If you are not taking care of your family financially, emotionally, spiritually, that's what the Bible says you are. You are like a person who never put, who doesn't know Christ at all. So your relationship with God is evidenced by how you lead men, as, how you lead your family. 
It's not by how many Bible verses you know. It's by how you lead your family. That's the way to measure your relationship with God. See, every woman needs security. Every woman wants to feel secure in her, in her person. God has put that in us. That's why women, we, because we came out of the man, we're always looking for the man to affirm us. And no matter how we try, believe me, when your wife comes to you and tells you, is this dress nice? Do I look good? She just wants you to affirm her. She's looked in the mirror, but she wants you to tell her stuff that will make her feel complete. And that's the work of the man. And the thing is, when a man doesn't feel, in the family life, there's no vacuum. I will explain that. There's never a vacuum because the needs of the family has to be taken care of. And so when the husband is not meeting the needs, the wife naturally will fill that position and be the one to stress about how the bills are going to be paid and be the one to stress about how to get food on the table and be the one to stress about making sure the children read the Bible and be the one to stress about making sure there's food. They be the one to stress about everything. She naturally takes it. And because she wasn't built to take all of that on her, she begins to act like a man. And so most men will say, ah, my wife doesn't respect me. She's, she's wearing the pants in the home. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want to. She's doing it because you're not doing it. You know, she's doing it because you're not doing it. And so when there's anger and the bitterness and the conflict, when all of that is happening, I will show you some scriptures. It's for us to go back. Because no matter what it is, at the end of the day, when you meet before God, God is going to hold you the man responsible for your family. He is going to hold you responsible. Not the woman. No matter how bad she is, no matter how annoying she is, no matter how much she nags you, God is going to hold you the man responsible for how your family turned out. He's going to hold you man responsible for how your children turned out. That is so important. Your wife and your family will reflect your leadership. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 2. It says, show me a righteous ruler and I will show you a happy people. I'm going to put it in a marriage now. Show me a righteous husband and I will show you a happy family. Show me a wicked husband and I will show you a miserable family. Because the man is the head of his family. The Bible is saying here, when the king is righteous, when the head is righteous, when the leader is righteous, the people will not rebel. The people will be happy. The people will blossom. So anywhere in a family you see rebellion, disobedience, things going chaos, chaotic, men, go back and reflect, look at the leadership. Because your family is your mirror. God gave you your family to be a mirror. Your family is your mirror. What you see is what you are given. God will expose things in a man that you never knew you had when you, before you got married to that woman. And God does it so that, first of all, you can work on yourself before you want to work on the woman. And women, I'm coming for you in the next two weeks too. 
because we make things, yeah, the, that's the truth. Marriage, it must be both give and take. These two hands, if they are both dirty and I try to wash this on his own, try to wash this on his own, it won't be as clean as when I put them together and I rub them together. That's how marriage is. You, you, you wash each other, you make each other, you complement each other. What you deposit, men, what you deposit is what you withdraw. And I'll use some scriptures. I'll look for some scriptures to, to justify this, but I found two. Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So if you sow a lot of love, that's what you're going to get. If you sow a lot of affection, have you seen families, men that show affection to their wives? The wives usually become very affectionate to the children. If you see a family that there's a lot of hugging and, and touching and all, it's the man that started it. When your children are around, if you have them, even if they are old, let them see you loving, being affectionate to your wife. It's good. It makes the woman feel, and let me tell you, men, even when the woman says no, she means yes. If you know that about us, when leave, oh, please, she's happy about it. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38a, it says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, <laughs> shaking together and running over, will be put in your bosom. Let me explain that scripture with marriage. You don't go to the bank. If I put a hundred dollars in the bank, I don't go there and expect to get two hundred dollars out. What I put in the bank is what I'm going to get out. Now, with women, sometimes you will give, and because of the way you've given, she will make sure she gives it back to you, pressed down, shaking to make sure it's running over. She will give you. Let me put that in context here. Some of you are already laughing. You know where I'm going, right? I heard a pastor say, he said, if you give your wife a house, she will make a beautiful home out of it. He said, if you give your wife a seed, she will carry that seed for nine months and it will be good measure, pressed down, shaking together. By the time she gives you that baby, it's running over. If you give your wife trouble... She will make sure to is good measure, <laughs> press down, shaking together and running over, and she will lay it at your bosom. She will give you hell. So make sure before you do anything, you make sure you are giving what you want back. So Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25, let's go into loving your wife. Let me hurry up. It says... Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself. Now, when we talk about love, I think we all will agree that people use love now for everything. I mean, love, 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 everything, especially with Facebook where you have that uh, emoji of love. Everything is love. And so we are beginning to confuse what love is. There are four kinds of love when the Bible talks about love. The first one is eros. That is the one is sexual fulfillment. Unfortunately, 
or lost. Eros, E-R-O-S. Unfortunately, a lot of young people, that's what they think is love. They see this young woman, she's beautiful, she has a good figure, she's this and she's that, and they desire her mainly for sexual fulfillment. And that's why you see that kids who go into relationships too early, because of this, they get damaged a lot when they get married. Because they confuse that lustful feeling they had for the girl, they confuse it for love. And God helped them that, you know, opens their eyes and they really, especially those that are in the, in, in, in the body of Christ. Before you, you start thinking of dating a girl, you need to understand some of these things. And I think as a church, we need to do better too for our children. To make them understand, don't, 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 awaken, don't awaken these feelings too early. The Bible says somewhere in Psalm that a young man who awakens sexual feelings too early is like putting fire in your own bosom. And so as parents, we need to tell our children, when you start dating at the age of 15, 16, are you going to get married at 15, 16? So what are you dating for at the age of 15, 16? Not only will it distract you from your studies, from your life, you make a mistake, and then when you don't have enough sense, when your brain cells are actually now mature, you are now realizing, oh my God, what mistake did I make? But you're married now. So, Eros. And then we have filio, which is friendship. And then you have storge, which is affectionate love. But God talks about agape when he talks about husband and wife. He doesn't have, the kind of love of agape doesn't have anything to do with your own fulfillment. The love agape has everything to do with fulfilling the needs of another person. And so, when the Bible says, husband, love your wives, and the word there is, husbands, agape your wives, is telling you that no matter what she does, whether she's lovable, and he told you that to love them as Christ loved the church. Just right there, he tells you, the way Christ loves us is a way that we don't deserve. So, if you want to love your wife before, because she deserves your love, your marriage will not be strong. Your marriage will not be good. You don't love your wife because she deserves to be loved. You love your wife in spite of the mistakes she makes. You love your wife in spite of the, the things she does that rub you wrong. In spite of the nagging. It's a decision you make to love. It's a decision. It's a decision. And it's a love that has no expectations. It's a love that is not demanding anything. Is a love that sacrifices. Because the Bible tells us that as Christ loved the church, he gave himself, he sacrificed himself for her. Love, agape love must be demonstrated. Agape love is not just I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Show it. Show it in your actions. That is agape love. If there's, the money is not enough to make the bills in the house... Don't expect your wife to make $20, use $20 to feed the whole family for the month. Go and flip some hamburgers somewhere. Demonstrate that you love your wife and you love your family. Demonstrate it. If there's something, if a sacrifice is needed to be made in the family, you be the one to make the sacrifice. That's what a husband does. 
That's what a father does. That's what God expects because Christ gave himself for us. Like I said last week, it wasn't fun to come from heaven where the streets are made of gold to come to this earth. It was not fun. But he did that because of the love, the agape love he had for his church, for the, for the children of God. That is the same thing God is expecting from the husband. Your, your love for your wife must be demonstrated. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, it says, for God demonstrates his love towards us. God doesn't just tell you, I love you, I love you, I love you. He demonstrates it. He says, in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. You demonstrate your love to your wife, even though she may not be all that you want her to be yet. So we're going to, the few minutes we have, quickly talk about how, how do you love your wife? When the Bible talks about loving your wife, as a woman, I'm going to tell you men today, and please take mental notes and take physical notes and go listen to this again. When your wife tells you, do you love me? There are some of these things, that's what she's telling you. And when you tell your wife, I love you, make sure these things are in what you're telling her. Number one, you must respect your wife. You must respect her wife. You must honor her position. You must respect her opinion. You must respect her person. When you say you love your wife, it means that you're not cutting her down. It means that you listen to her. When she tells you, listen man, God gave us, every woman is a prophet. What do I mean by that? Every woman has this intuition that is right here at the gut. We cannot explain it. We can see you hug ten women. And we know that one that just one second more, we say, ah no, there's something in that hug. You have no clue at all. And so when your wife tells you, you know what, that sister, mm-mm. and you get all angry or whatever, believe me, you're gonna, she's gonna, that woman is gonna fry, fly, fry your liver. <laughs> God has given it to us. We all have it. And so respect that opinion when your wife comes and tells you, you know what, there's, I just don't, I don't know what it is, but there's something. You listen to her. We are all, every woman has a prophetic seed in her. That's what it is. So respect her, listen to her. When she talks about her relationships, when she talks about her job, when she talks about her friendship, just listen and respect what she's saying. Sometimes we don't even want you to say anything. Just let us say it. The more we give it out, then we feel relieved. That's not when the time to start giving advice. She doesn't want your advice. Amen, Amen ladies. Amen. The women are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Genesis chapter 21 verse 12. God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of the bond woman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. Listen to her voice. Men, listen to the voice of your wives. In this case, Sarah was telling Abraham to let her guy go. And Abraham didn't want to do it, but God said, listen to your wife. It's important that you listen to your wife. Number two, sacrifice for your wives. And I've already given the scriptures. Husbands, Ephesians 5.25 Husband, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Until you sacrifice for your wife, you don't love your wife. 
until you can tell her what you've sacrificed and until she can see your sacrifice, it's not love. Like I said, if there's something that needs to be done extra, let the husband do it. Especially when it comes to finances. Get that second job if you have to get the second job. Flip those hamburgers if you have to. Don't have your wife stretch the last dime to the point that she's so frustrated, she's so bitter, she's so angry because she feels like everything is on her shoulders. It is the job of the man to make sure the family is fed, the family is taken care of in every way. Like I said, the leadership, the headship of the home is on the, right on the shoulders of the man. Listen to this scripture in Genesis 28, verses 18 to 20. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel. Seven years, he was willing, I won't read all the scripture, he was willing to, to sacrifice seven years of his life to show Rachel that he loved her. And you know what happened? The father Laban deceived him after the seven years and gave him Le- uh, Leah, and he was again ready to serve another for, uh, seven years. So for a total of 14 years, he was willing to serve and to sacrifice to get what he wanted. It's the same thing. Be willing to sacrifice for your family. Number three, emotional support. When you come and you come home or your wife is crying or she's unusually quiet and feeling down, don't say, oh, yeah, we go again. Those tears, no, don't do that. Don't get irritated. You're always crying. That word always, if you're using it all the time, watch it. When you say always or never, those are the two words that cause trouble in home. You're always or you never. Mm-mm. Don't tell your wife you're always crying. There we go again. No, when she's crying or she's down or she's feeling, you know, you can see her countenance. Go find out what's going on. What's going on here? What happened? And like I said, let her talk. Don't interject. You're just waiting for her to finish. Sometimes she hasn't even finished. You finish the sentence for her. No. Let her say what she wants to say. She's, she's a, she has a mind of her own. She has opinions. Emotionally support. That is an area where women, as, if you see a lot of women destroyed, having low self-esteem, not sure of who they are, not very stable in their emotions, and they are married, I usually say the, the husband has a part to play. Because if you see a timid woman, it's because she's always been put down in the home. She tries to say anything, it's like this. And so she's never sure when she's outside if she should say or do anything. If you see a woman who is bold, a woman who is confident, look and see at home, somebody is building her up. Men don't realize the importance. You are important in our lives. In your wife's life, you are important. It's what you tell your wife, that's how she carries herself. If a man tells his wife, you're beautiful, I don't care what other people say outside. She will feel like the most beautiful person in the world. 
She walks with her head high because she knows her husband appreciates her. Her husband loves her and he builds her up. That's what the Bible says as Christ washed the church with his word. It's exactly the same thing. Wash your wife with your words. Words of affirmation. Words of appreciation. Tell her how good she is. Tell her how lucky you are as a husband to have her as a wife. Tell her how much you love her and how much you're willing to do anything. What, baby, what do you want me to do for you today? Your wife needs your emotional support. Colossians chapter 3 verse 19. It says, Husband, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. In the NLT it says, Husband, love your wives and don't treat them harshly. Don't treat your wife harshly. Don't trivialize what she has to say. Don't make her opinion seem like it's not important. Then number four, honor your wives. Please give me five extra minutes, people. First Peter chapter 3 verse 7. It says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together to the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So if you don't give understanding and honor to your wife, and you break your wife's spirit. And I really think that the tears of women move God in a special way. I really believe that. When I read this, I'm like, because when you break a woman's spirit and she cries to God, you are in trouble. You are in trouble. Because God will not hear your prayers. And it's telling you like here that your wife, like I said, giving honor to your wife is just making sure you don't, don't break her spirit. That's all he's saying here. Don't break her spirit. She's weaker in, in the fact that not physically or mentally or emotionally weaker than you. It's just that she's very fragile. And God made her that way. When God created man, remember he got dirt. Women were not created from dirt. There's more structure, there's more uh, firmness. You, you can hold dirt. But God used a bone and fashioned a woman out of a bone. A woman is fragile. No matter how your wife might come in and try to be all that, she's very fragile emotionally. And so honor her. Use words to build her, like I said. Honor her. And then number five, defend your wife, even over your family. Defend your wife. You're not supposed to, when your family are saying bad things about your wife, you're not supposed to join in with them. We see that with Miriam and Aaron. In Numbers 12 verse 1, I won't read it all, but you can put it up. Miriam and Aaron were not happy that Moses married an Egyptian woman, a foreign woman. They were not happy. But they paid a price for it. And Moses did not join with them. He defended his wife against his sister, against his brother. Number six, lavish your wife with affection and compliments. Show her affection. Let the whole world know you love this woman. Hold her hand. Put your arm around her in the public. 
When you're talking to your friends, talking to people, let word get back to your wife that, man, your husband, he talks so highly about you, man. He's, he's always praising you. I mean, if that's one thing I knew when I was, my husband was here, was that he, you, you can't be talking to good luck for two minutes before my name comes in there. He will tell you how his wife is the smartest person in the whole world. He will tell you how the wife is the most beautiful woman in the whole world. Have you met my wife? In fact, when I met some of his way back then, they were like, oh my God, finally. You know? Because that, that, do you know how that makes a woman feel? It makes you feel confident. Because you know when he's out there, he's building you up, he's telling people about the good things about you. At home, he might tell you what you're doing wrong, but in the public, don't ever talk negative about your wife. Don't ever say things about her weight. Don't ever say things about her looks. Never. Because if it gets back to her, you've just broken that woman. Then number seven, finally. Help your wife to grow and flourish. Your wife has gifts. Your wife has talents. Your wife has a purpose. Just like you do. God brought her to this world to fulfill a purpose. And so, being your wife doesn't negate that. The purpose of God for her life is preeminent. And the man is supposed to make her blossom in that. The man is supposed to make her bloom in that. Oh, baby, you can pray. In fact, you are the one going to pray in this house for the next one year. Because when you pray, I can hear, I can see the heavens opening. Oh, when you sing. Man, that song you sang today. Oh, you, 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 you're going to be preaching. You, I mean, when you t- even if she's not sure of herself, she's going to be, oh, okay, really? She will ask you that, really? Because we are like that. We are very, a lot of women are very insecure. You give them security. The highest, the greatest need a woman needs from you, your wife needs from you, is to give her security. Because she's fragile. Amen? So we're going to do something a little different today. I'm going to have the men, especially the young ones that are not yet married. I want you, from what we've talked about now, to understand when you're looking for a wife, what is expected of you. (laughs) What is expected of you as a young man? When you get married, these are the things if you want to have a good home. So I'm going to have all the men come, and the women, we're going to pray for the men today, man. We are going to pray for the men. So I want all the men to come, the young men first, and then our married men just to come, and then the women will stretch their hands and will pray for you. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. They are looking at me. I want all of you here. Come on. Come on. They are like, oh, yes, let's pray for you guys. I'm sure most of you want to be happy, right? Hallelujah. Thank you, guys. Look at all the godly men at the Ark Fellowship. Thank you, Jesus. Ladies, I just want you to stretch your hands. Being a man in this world is not, it's not really easy. We are making fun of it, but really, it's a lot of work on their shoulders, a lot of responsibility. So, ladies, I want you to stand up and just stretch your hands towards these men of God. And let's pray for them. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we lift all these men, these righteous men before you. Even those that are not here, God, we leave them before you today. Father, we recognize that there's a lot on their shoulders. There's a lot of things you put on them, a lot of responsibilities. You hold them accountable for so much. 
And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray, O oh God, that you will strengthen this man. Father God, that what they've learned today and last week, they will put it to use, God, that they will understand and lead their homes righteously, that they will be the head that you expect them to be, that they will lead with love, O oh God. Father, for the young ones, Father, I pray, Father, that you begin to teach them. Right now, Lord, you begin to teach and to establish in their hearts what it means to be a true man, a true husband, and a true father. So when they grow up and they are ready to take that plunge, God, they would have already known what is expected of them. Father, we thank you, Lord. We give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' mighty name. And the women and the men said, Amen. Hallelujah. You may go back to your seat. Thank you all so much. Thank you, thank you. I want our prayer partner, the musicians, could you please come back up here? I want our prayer partners to please come. And if you're here, you need to give your life to Christ. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or if you have a need in your life, you want someone to agree with you, to pray with you, please. We're going to have our prayer partners here. And I'll pray for you guys. And every other person, would you stand up, please, as we end the service. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father. We thank you, O oh God, that you have the family as the first thing on your heart. You want men and women husbands and wives, to be united in love. Father God, I thank you that this word that has come forth, we strengthen every man in this church, Lord. We give them, oh God, knowledge that they need to lead their homes. Father, I pray that you put a hunger in their hearts to go find out about things like this more and to truly love and to lead their families the way you want them to. Father, as we leave your presence now, we don't go without you. You said we carry you everywhere we go. You are with us even unto the end of the age. Father, as we go into our work world, as we go out, oh God, this week, bless the work of our hands. Prosper us in everything that we, we do. Let your favor, as your word says, surround us like a shield, Father. And we give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So come out for prayer.